0: left a cup of coffee sitting up here so I'd have something to sip on while I was preaching and I, I can't find it. Somebody took my coffee. Um, oh, there it is. Somebody moved it for me. I, I, yeah, I try to keep a couple of them up here because they wander off. Um, let's uh, pray in preparation for the message. Thank you, Jeremy. Oh, and it's a full-size cup. Thanks. That's an old joke. I asked Jeremy for a cup of coffee once and he brought me a, a shot glass of coffee. It was it was prearranged as a sermon illustration, but it doesn't mean I can't pick on him about it. Uh, let's pray in preparation for the message. Uh, Heavenly Father, I pray that you be with me as I uh, share the word today. I pray that you would help me to um, be faithful to the text. I pray that you help me to um, listen to the Spirit's guidance as I as I um, as I uh, share share your word. I pray that you would help me to you know not let myself get in the way, Lord, but that it would be your message and your word and your heart and your spirit that folks hear from today. Um, I pray that you would be with the folks who are here and that you would touch their hearts, that they would um, be filled with your spirit, that they would, uh, their hearts would be just a fertile soil for your word and for for you to uh, move in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, wow, well, my slides are not cooperating. So for uh, I've been an, a Christian for... 20-some-odd years, I started going to church in junior high. Um, and, and in the many, I mean, it's 20-some-odd years. I know it's weird for a guy who's only 25. Um, but in the, in the years that, that I've been going to church, one of the things in the early years, one of the things that bothered me um, year after year after year was that like wherever I was, like in, in high school, in college, as, as a young adult, as, as a less young adult, um, I, I never got invited to be on any committees or teams. Like, I was never asked to be an usher. I guess for some reason people thought I was a poor representation of of the church, not who you want new people to meet. Um, never been an elder. I've never been, and like for a long time that really, like, that got under my skin. I would think, well, what's wrong with me? You know, why can't I? Why hasn't anybody asked me? And, you know, year after year after year of this. And this morning I had a, a moment of... of uh, of reversal. I don't know. Y'all ever experienced that? Like where everything goes in the other direction. And that was when I was standing next to my wife and, um, one of the nursery workers came up to tell me that my son had thrown up all over himself and everyone else and that someone needed to go deal with him. And I said, honey, I got to preach. I can't be a part of the nursery team today. <laughs> and so I, I got to be happy about not being a part of the team. <laughs> um, that was less funny than I thought it would be. <laughs> um, it is, uh, I, I, i looking at at where to start with this actually I found a a quote from uh Groucho Marx, the great philosopher um, when he uh when he have you ever watched any of his movies it's very deep um, when groucho uh he was a member of the friars club, which is a a fairly exclusive club in New York or was at one point you can join on the internet now um but but at the time it was a fairly exclusive club and he sent them a telegram saying uh, please accept my resignation. I don't, want to be, I don't want to belong to any club that will accept me as a member. Um, and and I, I thought it was funny, because uh, um, we kind of, we, we, you know, people, we tend to be self-important, at least to a degree, right? And we tend to look at ourselves as, you know, I'm fantastic, and people should be happy to know me. And, and Groucho, of course, is joking, but like, as we dive into the text today, we're talking about the church. Right and about about the purpose of the church. Last week we talked about the purpose of the church, um, which is to glorify God. And we're gonna like like the church exists to point to God and to demonstrate how awesome God is. Like He's merciful. He's He's amazing. And and as we dive into our text this week, we're gonna look at um, membership. Right. And this is one of those this is one of those groups where um, it's funny that that you often hear people say, "Oh, the church is full of hypocrites, hypocrites and sinners." And well, yeah. I mean, that's sort of the point. Like, we're, we're all fallen, and we need Jesus to save us. Like, that's the point. Um, and that's, that's where we're going to go with this. We're going we're gonna to look in the book of Acts at the very beginning of the church and the apparel, the appearance of the Holy Spirit uh, on Pentecost. And this is, this is um, to give you an idea what's going on. Um, this is right after, like 40 days after um, Jesus had resurrected from the dead. And the the church had gathered, like the 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 church had gathered in in um, Jerusalem, and they were praying. And the Holy Spirit came on them and filled up the room. And there was a sound of rushing wind. And all of a sudden, like all of the members of all the disciples, suddenly they were able to speak in languages they didn't know. And they they sat in the room together and they were talking in languages they didn't speak. And people started to gather around, and they they were saying, "Well, look at these guys. They're all drunk." You know, like they're, it's only like eight in the morning and these guys are already out here drunk and look at this, this is crazy. And they are making fun of them. and Peter stood up and he preached a sermon and, and I have always wanted to start a sermon this way. I have never, Michael always says this to me. He's like, Eric, can you start a sermon with that one day? Or can you work that into a sermon? It's almost always the worst thing I've ever said in my life. He, he exists as my conscience, um, <laughs> but Peter stands up and he starts his sermon um, men of Israel, listen to these words. Actually, I jumped past the introduction. I don't know why I did that. Um, Peter stands up to do a sermon, and his opening remark is Hey, we're not drunk. And <laughs> I hope to one day be able to stand up and start a sermon that way. Hey, I'm not. Hey, hey, I know how this looks, but I'm not drunk. Like, in reality, these men, you know, it's only like 8 in the morning. These men. They are speaking in languages that you know, but they don't know your languages. Like, what you're seeing is a miracle. And Peter, like, identifies it as a miracle. And then he goes on to preach, um, one of the most successful sermons in history, uh, where he, he increases the size of the existing church by, like, 40,000%. Um, it's, but it's easy when there's, like, 12 guys. Um, since it was impossible for him to be held by its power. Now, this is a long sermon. I'm not doing the whole thing from Peter, but I felt like it was important to cover it. He starts off by addressing the crowd and saying, Hey, that Jesus guy who was here performing miracles a few weeks ago, you all knew him. He traveled to your hometowns. You saw him. You heard him preach. He's no secret to you. Then you guys helped kill him. Remember that? Like, that's a... Way to start a sermon, right? Like, he is putting it on these guys. You know, hey, all of you people were a part of this. And Jesus was, was he was crucified, he was hung on the cross, and and um, God delivered him from the agony of death. Um, Peter goes on. For David says of him... I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, because you did not abandon my soul to Hades, nor your Holy One to decay, to undergo decay. Uh, sorry, this is a really small print. i got to pick it up. Um, You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David, David was the one of the earliest kings. He was one of the most prominent writers in the Old Testament. Regarding the patriarch David, that he both died and was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on the throne. He looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ. And he was neither abandoned to Hades, excuse me, um, the same thing, uh, nor did he suffer, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witness. Uh, therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth that uh, this which you see, both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. It's a big chunk of text, and I went back and forth about whether or not I was going to include it, because it was a lot, right? It was maybe even a little hard to pay attention to, because it's a lot of text, and it's thick. What he's saying is, David, like the great King David, came along, and he predicted that one of his descendants, like God told him, one of my descendants will be on the throne forever, And that's Jesus. And this descendant would not ever like decay in the ground. And Jesus didn't. And God will take him in the end and put him in his right hand and make his enemies a footstool underneath him. Now, that's a pretty big threat if you think about it, right? If God takes you aside and says, hey, you are not only going to be so victorious. You're going to be victorious, but you're not only going to be so victorious that the bad guys will be under your feet when you rest at night. You will pile them up and kick your feet up on them, right? Like, you are going to win that good. Um, And then he goes on. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So this is verse 36. Like, it's the end of his sermon. Like, Peter finishes with, look, you know, this Jesus person, he was God. God put him at his own right hand. God sent him to save you people, and the best you could do was kill him. Um give you an idea here. I, I read a, a story this week. I was researching for this, and I read about a man who bought a mouse, you know, a little white mouse, that he had planned on feeding to his pet snake. And he dropped the mouse into the snake's um, cage, and the snake was sleeping, right? And the mouse, realizing he was in imminent danger, Um, watched the snake for a while, and then began to move the sawdust from the bottom of the cage to cover the snake up. And then he went and hid on the other side of the cage, having covered up the danger, (laughs) and assuming he was okay. Like, this is where these guys are, right? Like, they have God has sent a savior. God has shown up in person. God has confronted them for who they were, and their response was to kill him, to reject him. Um, And Peter says, hey, this man you crucified, um, his enemies will be piled up beneath his feet. And how will they respond? Well, they're witnessing a miracle. They had witnessed miracles. And now they have the Holy Spirit filling them, which is a big thing. The Holy Spirit, like, pierces us. There are moments when you hear sermons. Some of you guys will, you know, say this to me. Well, I was listening to this sermon, and it was like, the guy followed me around and, like, knew what I was talking about, right? It was that way. When I started going to church 20-some-odd years ago, um, it was like the pastor knew me. It was weird. And I i mean, I wasn't from his town, and I didn't grow up in church, and he didn't, I mean, I really didn't know me at all, but the guy knew me, and he—what everything he said cut right through me. It was actually, it was amazing to me, because it was like, like, one of the first times I felt really understood by anyone. And in reality, what was going on was the Holy Spirit was moving through that guy and speaking to me, right? Like the Holy Spirit is that that, that like pushing force that wakes you up in moments when you hear sermons and you're like, Man, I got to get my life right. Oh, wow. Like, this is me. Man, I got to do this right. Oh, I struggle with that. This is this thing that, you know, it is the moments of clarity that we have when we wake up and we realize we're not right with God or when we realize that God is moving in a big way and we get to see it. That is the Holy Spirit. And that is where these guys are. Like, Jesus, whom you crucified, was God's salvation for you, and it's gone. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. The word pierced here is funny, right? And I. I Took note of this especially because I thought it was cool. In secular Greek, it refers to horses stamping the ground repeatedly. I, I haven't spent much time around horses, but I've hiked where horses have walked. And man, they, like, if a horse gets wound up, man, he can dent the ground, right? Like, if a horse kicks you, bad, right? Um, Luke uses it, this word, uses twice. Once he uses it in his description of Jesus being nailed to the cross. Like, in the word, Pierced is used for, like, the nailing to the cross, right? And so these guys are pierced to the heart, like, like nailed. They were nailed, right? Peter preaches a sermon. He says, you guys crucified Christ. God sent him to save you. This is God himself, and you guys killed him. And their response is, oh, no. And they, they, I mean, they literally cry out in pain because they're terrified of what's coming. Because they're terrified that they have killed God's salvation for them, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, "Brethren, what shall we do?" Um, which is a big question, right? Like, "Uh oh, what do we do now? We're in trouble. How do we, how do we, how do we fix this? Um, how do we get out of the situation we're in?" Um, and this is a big one. I mean, like, if any of y'all ever. Woken up in the middle of the night and looked at your life and said, "Man, I got sins that are out of control, and I am—I um, I don't even know how to fix it anymore." Like, or been in spots where you realize that you are so lost, or so in the dark, or so hopeless, or so like, like whatever, and you're, you say, "God, what do I have to do to get out of this? What, what do I have to do to have You help me here?" Um, that's when I started to go to church. When I started to go to church, I had, you know, I—I I was. I was lost. I had no idea what to do next. I I was lonely. I was, you know, had no idea what God had for me. I had no idea what anything had for me. I just knew I wasn't very happy with life. And I found Jesus and that was it. I mean, like and I said, I don't care what this is, I want it. And this is where these guys are. What do we have to do? Peter said to them, now watch this. He gives them a list, right? Repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Now watch this. Um, When we read that in English, right, English isn't a very creative language compared to like Greek, right? The words here in Greek would be repent in like the second person because there's like three persons for every word. Um, Repent, and then he says be baptized in the name of Jesus, which is in the third person, right? And so like what that means, because I'm awful at grammar, Right? Anyone else? Just me? Um, what that means is repent is in the urgent. He's saying, do this first, and then be baptized in the name of Jesus, and that's second. What does repent mean? Because that is a funny word. Like, it's not. Not always clear. Like it's a word we hear, and it means to sort of say sorry. Sort of um, in in Greek, as it's used in the Old Testament. Like in we see it used frequently in the Old Testament, and then by Jesus, it means basically to turn around and go the other way, right? So like if you are living this way, turn around and head in the other direction, right? And and you, I mean this is pretty clear. You guys killed Jesus. You need to turn around and go the other way. Um, Years ago, my wife and I were on a trip, and um, we're driving along, and she fell asleep, and we sort of compete, or I compete with her, and she's not here to hear this, so I'll acknowledge it openly. Um, I I want to drive as much as possible on long trips, and she feels like 12 hours of continuous driving isn't safe, because she doesn't know how good of a driver I am. Um, (laughs) So... She fell asleep while we're driving. And I took advantage of the opportunity to drive for about seven hours. You know, and it felt like it worked out well until she woke up. And then she was a little annoyed with me, but she said, Eric, where are we? I said, I don't know. The town we just passed by is such and such, Arkansas. And she's like, what? <laughs> Where's the highway? Uh... Uh, and she gets out the she pull over, pull over and she gets out the map and she starts looking and she's like, well, Eric, about six hours ago, you were supposed to turn. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> whoops. And, and I mean, this is like 15 years ago. I still hear about it sometimes. Like I, 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 I. I had traveled for hours and hours in the wrong direction. Now, I had two choices at that point. Well, three. I could get out and let her drive, which I did not do. I could say, no, I'm right. And I could keep going, right? And we probably still wouldn't be home yet. Um, But that's basically burying the snake, isn't it? Oh, (laughs) Or I could say, okay, honey, where am I supposed to go now? And I could turn around and I could go the way I came, and like fix it, right? This is what these the Peter's telling these folks. Listen, repent, turn around, go the other way. Recognize that you're screwed up. Recognize that you failed. Recognize that you are like like God's enemy at this point. For these guys, like they, I mean they, they're God's enemy. So they killed Jesus, right? And, and he says, turn around and go the other, repent, change your mind. Now, here's a quick note, like, any of y'all ever, like, try to turn around and go the other way and discover that you're not quite perfect at it? Well, just me. <laughs> Years ago, I quit smoking, and then I, I quit smoking again. Then I quit smoking again about an hour later. <laughs> and then I quit smoking again a couple hours later. And, and I was really good at quitting. Like, I was a great, great at quitting smoking. <laughs> But I wasn't great at, like, continuing to quit smoking. It was a really hard thing. Um, sin is like that, right? Um, sin is not this thing that we shrug off like a coat. Sin is this thing that is inside us and forever. I read uh, this week that apples – have you ever found a worm in an apple? I, I didn't even – like, I've never found a worm in an apple, right? But I guess if you get organic, they come that way sometimes. Um, but worms do not. <laughs> I know there are some of you who are organic farmers. I and I did that on purpose. Um, <laughs> and I love you all. Um, <laughs> worms do not enter apples from the outside. Did you know that? What happens is insects lay eggs in apple blossoms, and then when the apple starts growing, the worm hatches out of that little egg, and it digs its way out. And so worms go from the inside out, not the outside in, and we're really, really the same way, right? We are sinful from birth. Like Adam and Eve fell, and it has infected all of us, and we are all affected by it. And so, like, when I fail, right, when I rebel against God, when I say things that are the wrong thing, when I fall on my face over and over again when my heart like is pointed in the wrong direction. All of this stuff is an inside-out thing, right? And so repent means turn around and go the other way, but it also means you're going to keep doing this, right? Like the the point is turn around and go the other way. You're going to get lost again. You're going to stumble. You're going to fall. It means try. Second is be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Now watch this. Jewish people did not get baptized by standard. Right, if you were being baptized in the ancient world in Israel, you were becoming Jewish. Like it was part of the process of becoming a Jew, you would be baptized. It was a washing thing, like exactly or very similar to what we do. Um, but it was how you became Jewish. It was part of the conversion process. A good Jewish person never had to be baptized, right? And so for Peter to say, "Guys, y'all need to be baptized," this is a big thing, right? Um, And these are important to membership in the church. There are people who go their whole lives to church and never manage to repent for a single thing, right? Or, uh, you know, will look at their own actions and say, well, I would repent if I was wrong, but that's okay. You know, that guy deserved for me to yell at him. You know, my wife deserves for me to treat her that way. My children deserve for me to ignore them. My You know, in reality, repentance is recognition that we fall short of God's standard, Right? that we do not meet his ideal standard, and that we need to, like, do better. We're not capable. The Holy Spirit fills us and moves us. But so, like, joining the church requires repentance. You can attend church without repenting, right? You can show up to church your whole life and never repent. And you may be a member of the visible church, as Martin Luther called it, but you're not a member of the invisible church. You cannot be saved without repenting. And be baptized, you do not have to be baptized to be saved. Got it? Baptism does not, like, perform some magic trick to save you. I've had people for years ask me, well, I want to go to heaven, so I need to be baptized. What do you know about Jesus? Well, I'm sure he's connected to it somehow. <laughs> Can I be baptized? Well, no. <laughs> In reality, baptism is an outward show of an inward occurrence, Right? Um, if you're saved, you should be baptized. It is a command we've been given, right? It is a public proclamation of who you are in Christ. It is a public proclamation of new life. Um, In the name of Jesus, by the way, is kind of a big thing in the ancient world, Is acknowledging that Jesus can save you from your sins, that Jesus can give you forgiveness of your sins. And then finally, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is complicated, and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it. Um, The Holy Spirit is like... Gosh, every time I ever drive a a piece of machinery at Larry's house, you spend 35 minutes before you turn the key. And what do you do? Check the oil. And, like, it's funny because the first time we ever did this, he said to me, I have never found this machine to be low on oil. We're going to check it now. (laughs) Because what happens if you run it without oil? It's going to fall apart, right? You are going to have a real problem. Sorry, Larry, I owe you money for using your name. Um, <laughs> the Holy Spirit is the oil that makes the whole thing work. Did my microphone turn off? Um, the Holy Spirit is the oil that makes the whole thing work. It is the, the um, fuel in our gas tank, if you will. I know oil isn't fuel. Stick with me. Um, the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to repent. He changes our heart. When we overcome sin, it is the Holy Spirit who does it. When we wake up one morning and realize that we've been like working at it, but we've got new work to do, that's it. Um, when we pray and we feel directed by the Spirit to open the Scriptures and read something, that's the Holy Spirit. Like The Holy Spirit is a part of the whole process. What we're seeing here is he's going beyond that and saying, listen, the Holy Spirit, once you are saved, the Holy Spirit enables you to become something more. The Holy Spirit enables you to move in a new direction. To find new legs underneath you, there are folks who will spend their whole lives working their 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 fingers to the bone, um, trying not to ever say the wrong thing in the wrong context, (laughs) trying to never stumble over the words, trying to never like you know hurt or you know hurt anyone's feelings or break any law. Um, The Pharisees did this. They would tithe on their like the the spices from their garden. They were so careful about it, right? But, like, that's only work apart from the Spirit, right? Like, the Spirit makes that possible. We can try our hardest, and trying is a part of it, but the Holy Spirit enables us to succeed. Um, it's where it breaks away from legalism and becomes lifestyle. Uh, 39, I spent, what, 10 minutes on that verse. Um, for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are fall, far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Now... Uh, Paul is making a a Peter, this would be Peter, is making a huge statement at this point. He says, first, this promise that like repent, baptize Holy Spirit, this promise is for you and for your children, meaning these Jewish people who are listening. This is like Old Testament language, meaning you and every generation that comes after you, right? So like this is for y'all. Um, that goes to another step. Like in the Old Testament, we see a promise here that that faith, like your children see it and they learn from it, right? We learn from our, from our parents, and your kids learn from you. And so there's an element of promise there. But, like, the idea is, you know, you Jewish people, this promise is for you guys, and it's for you forever, and for those who are far off. Now, this refers to, like, like people who are far from the truth, right? So this would be the Gentiles, This would be people who aren't acceptable. Actually, in Acts, a little later on, what we're going to see is we're going to see Philip preach to a eunuch, an Ethiopian eunuch, right? Eunuchs were people who Jewish folks, like you couldn't, if you were a eunuch, you weren't allowed in the temple. Like they didn't want you anywhere near them, right? Like you weren't a part of the assembly. There was an assumption that you were cursed by God. And this was one of the first converts, was this eunuch, right? It doesn't matter how broken you are. It doesn't matter how lost you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what can or can't be fixed about you. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, the people who are far off are welcome because Jesus died for those folks. As many as the Lord our God God will call to himself. Meaning, there's not a limit, right? It isn't like there's a top end here or an application process. Oh, Better fill out my paperwork. I actually, when I read about Groucho Marx, I looked up the Friars Club. And they had an application online. And I thought for a long time, I was sitting at my desk working, and I kept looking up at that application and thinking, hey, I should apply for the Friars Club. I mean, you're supposed to be a celebrity, but I'm sure I could pass for that, right? (laughs) Or a comedian. I don't think I got that down either. Um, At the end of the day, they probably would reject me. If I applied for Mensa, they'd probably reject me. Um, I mean, there are all sorts of things I could apply for and not get into. Lots of clubs that would not accept a person like me. But at the end of the day, the church is the kind of place that will accept a person like you. And actually a person like the real you, not the you you pretend to be. Not the you that you show other people, but the real you deep, deep, deep down inside. That is fantastic, right? We're a motley crew of rebellious people, of losers and... Sinners and wicked folks, and that is fantastic, right? Because the story with the rat or the mouse in the in the cage with the snake, right? Is there anything that mouse could do to save himself from that snake? Not at all. Every one of you from birth had that snake in the cage with you. No way away from it. That's our sin. That's our fate. That's there. Ultimately, the guy watched the mouse for a while and began to feel sorry for it reached in, pulled it out, and put it, in, like, put it somewhere else and kept it as a pet, and like, kept it as his own, right? This is what God does for us. God looks at us and he says, you cannot possibly dig yourself out of this. Let me pull you out. Did the mouse deserve it? Well, the mouse is stupid, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying y'all are. I am. I, but, like, <laughs> but the mouse didn't earn that. Like The man had pity. God has mercy on us, and all who will come to him, like, he'll accept us repent and be baptized. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. So there's kind of a little code word here, and with many other words, meaning the previous sermon, as long as it was, was a summary. Got it? It was the short version. Peter preached to them for some time, and he kept saying to them, hey, this generation you're in is hard-hearted. These guys are in trouble. Turn around, be saved. And he's not saying earn it. He's not saying anything like that. He's saying just come to the water and drink. That's it. Um, I really appreciated the song that Larry sung first um, where he talks about my voice was amongst the, you know, the voices that, that cried out for Jesus to be crucified. I mean, that, that is who we all are. I mean, I wasn't there. I'm not that old. Craig's almost that old, but I'm not. Um, but every time I rebel against God, my voice is raised up crucify him, right? And Jesus knew that would be the case about me, and he died for me. And all I have to do is be saved, all I have to do is repent and believe. That's fantastic. Like, the church exists to glorify God, and the only way to become a member, the only way to become a member is to have a heart change and pursue Christ. That's it. But it's easy, right? A lot of people won't do it. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Um, there probably were about 180,000 people in Jerusalem at the time. This is a big, 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 big crowd, right? 3,000 is a big number, though. It's one of the most successful, like, percentage-wise sermons ever. And considering the setting and context, it's astounding. And especially considering that Peter was a poor fisherman who was not very educated the whole nine yards. He, this is huge, but it was an act of the Holy Spirit. Um, what do you do with this? Um, there are three things I'm going to tell you to do here, okay? First, I want you to look at your heart, and I want you to look at your life, and I want you to ask yourself, like, am I still driving in the wrong direction hoping my wife doesn't wake up and figure it out, right? I know it's a metaphor. Um, <laughs> most of y'all aren't in your car right now, and most of y'all aren't, you know, with your wife, and some of y'all aren't married. But, like, are you living your life? Going in the wrong direction and just sort of hoping God doesn't notice. You know, but this is fun. I was it Saint Augustine said, "God make me pure, but not yet." Um, like, and we live that way. We do, and we assume God doesn't see us because we've covered it all up with sawdust. Um, how are you living? What's your life look like? Like, are you repenting? Are you pursuing Him? Are you His His man or His woman? Um, that's first, like, ask it. And if it's not, like, take it seriously. Um, Are you living as though this is true from then on out, right? Like, are you living as though, like, in this baptism we get baptized, it's a symbol of burial and resurrection, right? Are you living a new life? Like, are you a different person as a result? Um, And third, if these things are true about who you are, like, look around you and recognize you're a member of the family, these people are like the body of Christ. You're a member of something bigger than you that will last forever and ever and ever. You know, it's funny. I, I, one of the best things about Facebook is seeing how the cool kids I knew in high school like work at gas stations now because I'm not that good. Um, but like, like, going back and looking and saying, you know what, everybody I thought was better than me once upon a time, I can look back and realize that like, that was this weird illusion I lived with, right? In reality, what gave me value as a man... What gives any of us value as a man is that, like, or a woman or anything, is that Jesus died for us, right? And so, like, the third thing I want you to do is, like, back up and recognize that this is what gives us value. This is what makes us worthwhile. This is what makes us, like, something. Um, we're going to finish with communion today, and as we take the